This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of What Most People Think. Now I am actually off this week. I'm off this week. The missus demanded it. I'll be working. I haven't had proper time off for a long time. So it's a free line whip from the missus. Uh, but I didn't want to let you guys down, and specifically, obviously, podcast listeners, but I have patrons. This is the whole point about having a patron that keeps the podcast weekly and ad-free. I've got clients, babe, got clients. So I don't have some of the usual weekly stuff here because I'm actually recording this on Friday the 12th of November, but it's all going to be ready. I'm going to have it edited, so it'll go up as usual uh, next week while I'm uh, sunning myself here in uh, rural Cambridgeshire. <laughs> Uh, so it's a guest episode this week with the brilliant Rachel Paris. I've been wanting to speak to Rachel for a while. Obviously, my my co-host, uh, co-host, I'm not even a co-star of the Mash Report. She's the big star. I pop up the occasional time, but obviously, she was a huge breakout star uh, of that show. So in the conversation, we talk about her experience of being on the show, what it was like for those clips to go viral. And bear in mind, you've got to remember that those were more. Of, I mean, we're talking like millions. We'll speak about it in the interview and. The impact that that had on her career, you know, both good and bad in terms of the kind of trolling you get. But she's very positive about stuff. We get an insight into, you know, Rachel's politics. I mean, she actually, a lot of people might think that, you know, she's a raging lefty and stuff. But I think the truth, as it comes out, is a bit more moderate than that. And if you are here because you're a Rachel Paris fan, uh, welcome to the show. This is called What Most People Think. And it is not. Look, I don't know what you've heard about me. You know, this far right, hard right guy or a, or a bloke playing the character of a conservative. This podcast is just trying to have a laugh and at the same time get to grips with a kind of fairly reasonable view of what's happening in Britain. But, you know, we have a mix between shows where we talk about social and political stuff and we have these full guest shows like for high profile people uh, like Rachel. So before we get on with the show, there are actually a few new patrons since I put up the last podcast with Adam Rowe, which people should check out. People seem to love that. And the new patrons are, we've got Maddie Lee. Maddie Lee, who sounds like some old entertainer from the, the vaudeville years. It's Maddie Lee with a talking dog. <laughs> Um, is that is that vaudeville or is that more sort of Britain's Got Talent um, rehearsal audition? That's the word. We've got Lisa Ramsey Blythe. Lisa Ramsey Blythe. I mean, if I would just if I was trying to come up with a, a posh character in in a drama, people people say well, that's too much, Jeff. Lisa, and it's also I think it's Liza Liza Ramsey Blythe. That is. Do you remember? When, do you remember when double barrel names used to mean something? Hey, do you remember that? You know, and then suddenly it's all like, uh, you know, we want to just show that we're progressive. As I've said before, with double-barreled names, fine, you want to do that. But in a couple of generations, kids are going to have four surnames. And as we all know, that will create problems for filling out landing cards, which is up there with the most stressful things that a human being could do. Have you ever thought that on a flight? You're just like, you know, just watching films, you've had a bit of red wine, you know, you've had all the food on the little tray thing, despite kidding yourself that you was going to leave some of it. 
And then they bring around landing cards. You're like, whoa, whoa, don't puncture my my slumber here. I was I was just kind of like sort of pacified watching rom coms, and now I've got to remember flight numbers. And now, because my parents wanted to seem liberal at dinner parties, I've now now got to somehow fit four fucking surnames uh, onto the card. Um, and we've also got John Kidd. John Kidd. It sounds like a, a sort of 70s wrestler before WWF. And I can say that legally because it's historically, contextually correct. John Kidd. And they didn't really have any USPs, the wrestlers then, did they? Just come in, just had a side part. And John the Kid, Kid. <laughs> Oi, Kiddo. What's your nickname? Johnny Kid. Kidstar. Kidstar. You're right, Johnny. Johnny Kid. Johnny Kid. I'd make myself a Johnny if I was John Kid. But thank you for joining up. You guys are part of the reason that there is a podcast this week. And so, yeah, it is it is the first time that I'm not recording a podcast in a week, but there will be one out. So obviously, if there's a massive news story that breaks, cut me a bit of slack. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't know, I didn't know, for example, that that Tory MP was going to come out. I didn't know that that Labour MP uh, was a tax avoider. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know that JK Rowling uh, was going to say that. <laughs> or John Cleese was going to do this. I'm just trying to cover all the eventualities in the political slash culture war. But you know what? Instead of doing all that, let's just get straight into the... This just a fascinating chat, this, and getting to know a person more uh, with the brilliant Rachel Paris. So making her debut on What Most People Think is my good friend and colleague, Rachel Paris. Hello. It's great to have you on the show, man. You are you are back working, and you know you did the last series of Late Night Mash, and you did that incredibly impressive thing that female comics do—that you had a baby with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was quite funny, you know, because quite a lot of the sort of the younger people working on the show mm. said to me in quite a cute way. They were like, "Oh, I think it's so cute that you always bring your baby to work." you I think that's so adorable as though it was like a choice that I didn't want to be not connected to him and I was like oh you you were doing something to be iconic exactly <laughs> and I was like I I would leave him at home if I could it's just I'm breastfeeding I've got no choice I'd love to not have the baby with me today <laughs> see that's the thing with these kids they think everything is like a, a statement you know, you're pushing the boundaries you go exactly. no we just we just don't trust babysitters yet exactly exactly maybe. that yeah like let's say let's say I'm doing that and it's not that the baby won't take formula at this stage yeah yeah I could I'll happily be a meme for this <laughs> um it is incredible because obviously I you know we you were you were backstage so where the dressing rooms were was like a sort of three minute walk to be on stage I just don't know how you did that you know knowing that your baby was nearby did it take a lot of effort to kind of to switch your brain off uh, no <laughs> that's bad no um, I think that's brilliant yeah but I think I was uh, I think the first week that we did on the mastery, but the first week I did, yeah, it was the mm. it was the first one of the series, and um, and that was four weeks after giving birth. Wow, and that was yeah. a bit too soon. Um, in that uh, it was not so much that sort of going from one thing to the other, but just simply being exhausted. Um, and I was just sort of, but actually, I was sort of on a high. Yeah, because I had been able to just pass the baby to my husband and actually just have makeup done and look nice for the first time <laughs> in two months. And I was actually kind of like a bit 
yeah, I was feeling pretty ecstatic actually. But demob happy, like yeah, again, yeah. you know, for, for new mums, just that that little moment, you're sitting down in the makeup chair, you're like, hang on, I literally don't have to do anything now. Exactly, but then that quite quickly became. I think by the second episode, I was having makeup and hair done at the same time, whilst breastfeeding him in the makeup chair, whilst the producer was having script uh, amends with me at the same time in the makeup room. And I was like, there's there's at least one too many things going on. <laughs> right yeah. Now. Yeah. I mean, that is I mean, you want to talk about iconic if somebody got a black and white photo of that. And it feels dodgy to mention photos yeah. at this point. But it is something that you want to show your son at some point and go, look what mummy did. You hey. really do. It's quite I sort of talk about it in my stand up at the moment that a lot of people, have, a lot of women have said to me like, oh, huge congrats on going back to work you know congrats mm. very much to work and I feel like I'm being high-fived for something that I didn't like completely choose it wasn't like <laughs> so many things in life that sort of seem like a choice it, but I it just sort of happened I sort of fell into it I was like well I, I don't want to not do the mash report and that's when it fell and I obviously did fewer of them but and also my tour had already been postponed so much I didn't want to postpone all of it so I'm doing some tour dates as well but none of it's like I sat down and went I'm gonna go back to work like yeah. an icon. It's just sort of how it happened, and <laughs> I, oh, he, like, I find oh, it deep. I do find it deeply impressive with female comics. I remember I don't know if you'd have worked with Angie McAvoy, a brilliant comic. Uh, I think who think went into politics, but she was doing kind of like the club circuit at the same time as wow. me. And I did a gig with her in Leeds, and I remember like she came and her baby was about a year and a half, and um, her husband had to work and stuff, so she just brought her baby with her, and. He would, the kid was on stage in a little, ca- oh, you know, the car thing. It was yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's she amazing. absolutely stormed it. And the kid was like, the kid was so sort of, what was it? The kid say chill. I don't know. I don't know if we've <laughs> saved a lot of time by not saying chilled, but he was chill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He was present tense and past tense chill. <laughs> and, um, and, and yeah, I just thought, God, I, I think that I th- it made me realise that if women knew the extent, because I, I think, I think it's good to hear that you can switch off. I, I think that men, the degree to which men can switch off is actually quite disturbing. I think like sometimes when I'm away yeah. and my wife said, you know, I, I sort of get the sense that she doesn't realise that how quickly down the A1 I'm literally just thinking about Star Wars. and <laughs> Yeah, how fine you are with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really hope she doesn't hear th- this this podcast, but I don't know. I don't know what that is. I mean, there is that simple reality about about pregnancy it's just a different level of investment certainly in the early stage right you've gone through so you you have to you have to invest if it's working well the same amount in but you've so blatantly gone through something completely different (laughs) as a couple oh totally yeah I think that's so true like there are so many like literally physical chemical differences especially in those those early weeks um so that you know you're bound to experience it a little bit differently but I have definitely found, I don't think it's like just, you know, that's why we're in performing, but I've, I've been glad to be on a stage, you know, not everything yeah. around it, not the travel um, and not even, not really even being away from him. It makes a difference if I know he's being well looked after, you know, if I know he's with his dad yeah, yeah. and I know he's fine, that's different. Then I can just I find it much easier to just switch off and relax. You know, while we're in the sort of context of, of MASH, I mean, we were part of it from from the start when it got commissioned so it was up against um it was up there they, the bbc decided they wanted a, a topical thing and there were all these competing bids i mean literally every production company got involved mash report got down to the final four i think or three and it was and seen I think as we were like the underdog weren't we 
we were very much the underdog. Do you, do you want to know something interesting? I, I I was writing on the other two, so I was like, a, yeah, I was a proper double agent, and oh, and wow. one of yeah, and one of them. Um, so God, it was political. So I was in the other one, but I honestly thought. So everyone's telling me. The other ones had some people who were already on the, the level of almost household name type talent. And one was being made by Hattrick and I was at the, the pilot record for it. And honestly, it was insane. The, like, the audience, I've never heard laughter in a TV record like it. So this happened before MASH. And, um, and uh, they sort of said to me, like, it, it seemed like a, an absolute home run in terms of it would get commissioned. Yeah. And Chris Stott, Chris Stott, the producer of MASH report, texted me and said, what do you reckon? I was like, uh, I'm going to be honest, mate. <laughs> It went pretty well, and I didn't realize how discouraged he was by that. But then, but then we the, the pilot night. Do you remember that night well? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It was like the April of twenty seventeen, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. And it you just were went well, didn't it? It just went really well. It did go very yeah. It was surprising how much the audience responded, and and you, so your role in that first series was a bit different in subsequent series. Just remind us what you were doing then. Yeah, so when I was first taken on, and what I was like screen tested for was really the role of more of a, a comedy actress you know just yeah. um doing the social media wall which were just funny fake tweets which were very funny yeah, uh, and right. just inhabiting that you know very cheery social media person on like jeremy vine and that kind of show um and that was it was that for the first for the pilot and the first four episodes and mm. then i think it was after that the it was it was a popular segment so i think the bbc and Chris and the MASH people were like, what will happen if we give her more, basically, um, to do, like, and make it more like a correspondent piece, like what you did. So, and then I got to have more of a hand in writing it. Um, mm. And in my... Head, in the first series, it was, it was three straight white men as correspondents, weren't they? And people sort of yeah. noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, there's, there's no women uh, with, with opinions. But yeah, I mean, it went well in that first. It was, it was a very funny bit. And in early reviews and stuff, you were marked out as, you know, like a strong talent within the show. Um, and, then, and then at the beginning of the second series, there was this first episode where you did this bit on uh, sexual harassment. Yeah. And if you, could just, if you could just explain to us what the kind of tone or the, or the angle of the piece was. The angle was that since the Me Too movement, loads of people had said, oh, this is the end of romance or dating or flirting mm. or even employing women because how can I even have a woman in the office anymore because no one knows where the line is. I'll never hug a friend again. I'll never be able to mm. ask a woman out. And... Obviously, that was just all bullshit. Like, it, you you can still ask women out and you can still flirt and you can still date and you can still mm. have sex. It's just trying to figure out where the lines are. And I do think one thing that I actually would concede about the piece is that um, I don't think it is, like, completely simple, but I don't think it ever mm. was. I think that's the thing. Like, everyone's like, oh, it's so confusing now. And it's like... No, it's no more confusing now than it ever was. It's just you've realised you can't do whatever you want. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it was a moment in time, and what, what I thought was interesting about the way it landed was that when the show went out, um, some of my pals, you know, my lads WhatsApp group, who are quite ladsy, not not ridiculously yeah. so, but um, they, they, I was wondering about their reaction, and they they thought it was great. You oh, know what good. I mean? Because there was there was obviously something in the pitch of it. I think, you know, the, the fact that you, you kind of like, it was the first time, you know, you were mugging off Nish. Everyone found that funny. <laughs> yeah. he, was the, he was the high status figure within the show. And um, yeah, it, it, it really seemed to connect. And, and that style of 
kind of, I think like sarcasm is the wrong word because it's more sophisticated than that. But there's a kind of like sardonic sort of irony about the way that you did it. That you were able to get the message across without, without. I mean, I'm sure, look, it went super viral and I'm sure some people went nuts. But for a broad audience, it seemed to keep both sides on side. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think I think it has sort of, like you say, sort of straddled both sides in a way. Um, and God knows, me and Chris Stott, the producer, have spent many, many conversations trying to work out and remember what that sort of, sardonic take is exactly Mm. because we obviously want to keep wanting to recreate it um and a lot of it is just me and how I do stand up which is quite smiley and cheerful even when you're talking about very serious things but we 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 I've often got quite academic about it and gone like so what we need to remember is um I'm never in those pieces I should never be actually lying or saying things that aren't true it's always Mm. um trying out an angle to see if it works kind of thing and actually giving the people who I'm criticizing sort of giving pretending to give them the benefit of the doubt if you know what I mean like we've spent quite a lot of time trying to really pin down like what is the angle because we've written pieces and gone no that's she she knows that's not the case so actually pinning Mm. down like it's got to be um explaining it for people uh, in what I think is a helpful, kindly way, but giving them almost too much benefit of the doubt. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's. I, I think that the first one was kind of the, um, you know, what's the word, the model for that. And then Yes, yeah, no, that's a great way of putting it. And it went, it went so viral. I mean, people talk about viral, but I can remember, like, the numbers of views. I mean, what was it? I mean, in Facebook, what did it go up to on well, Facebook? It, it, it's now about... I know this because I had to check mm. it for a job recently. It's now 40 million for that mm. piece alone. I mean, I, that is, I mean, don't, look, I wouldn't even judge if you checked it every day. I'd be checking <laughs> it every day. On Twitter, it went, what was it, like 10 million or it something? Was so, or, it, it was or so fast, more. that was the thing. Like, it's 40 million now, yeah. but what's even weirder is that I think it was 10 million within a couple of days. Like it yeah. was, it was yeah. I mean, well, because it was in the slipstream of Me Too, wasn't it? So it got yeah. uh, it got a lot of traction with kind of like feminism and and that um, discourse. What what I'm interested about in yourself is like I don't know what your social media following was like before that and stuff, but just talk me through the experience of something going viral that quickly because I don't think you know in terms of comedy, I can remember anything that's that's gone like that that's been produced in this country. It was it was very um, strange and new. Uh, mm. I do remember it was quite scary, really, because yeah. I just didn't know what the consequences would be. As it were, the consequences were fine. But, um, mm. you know, a lot of online hate uh, for that. Mm. And the, the the Trump, Piers Morgan one as well, equally mm. went, went viral. Because well, those, yeah, in subsequent weeks, it was like three weeks on the bounce. These, yeah. these things all went, yeah. all went huge. Like sexual harassment remains the most, the biggest one, but yeah, the Trump and Morgan one, and that was a, perhaps a bit more, um, a bit more divided because there were people mm. who were really furious about it. Yeah. Um, so with both, during that sort of three week period, I do remember the day that the sexual harassment one got released online rather than, how it yeah. went when it aired but when it got released online I had my phone next to me and I, I remember I was writing up the um apologies one in the I was in the Zephyrtron offices and working on apologies yeah. and the phone I checked my phone and it was like oh it's had like 3,000 views and then 
10,000. And we were like, oh, this is going great. This is going really well. Mm. And then on my Twitter followers as well, started going up. Um, I think I had about 400 Twitter followers or something. Um, and it went to like, yeah, like 50,000 views, 150,000 views. And it just kept, my phone was like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my Twitter followership just went insane. In, in the course of uh, a week, you know, it yeah. went from like 400 to like, 40,000 or something like it, it was yeah. I can't remember if it was that big I mean and that is that is exponential amount. and particularly if you think now I mean a lot of comics I've spoke to say it's actually a lot harder to build a Twitter following now a lot of it's tailed off and yeah. there's not much of a correlation between TV shows and you know people you like you probably get pick up more followers off a off a podcast these days yeah I think um, so. and so it's changed but so so those kind of numbers were, were extraordinary at the time and and particularly so now, I mean, like, so that must have then had a knock-on effect on, like, ticket sales. I don't it know whether you were amazing. touring at that point. To give you an idea, like, so I had booked my own tiny tour of the show I'd done in Edinburgh in little, like, 100-seater yeah. studio venues uh, round the country, like a little, you know, 15-date tour. And mm. I felt like I called it a tour, you know, sort of tour in inverted commas. It was just me going round you know, I'd got someone to design my posters and I printed them myself, you know, gotten off to like optimal prints online and printed my own posters. And a bit of, was the route in one of those ones, you're like, right, Swindon Wednesday, Newcastle Thursday, one of those <laughs> yeah. ones. Yeah, you know it. Um, really, really carbon unfriendly tour. Because yeah. you don't have a choice at that point. You take whatever you You take whatever will take you. So I was doing that tour in the spring of my show called mm. Keynote, which um, I still did and was brilliant. So that obviously sold out very fast and then by six months time they immediately they sort of cottoned on I think you're going to sell more tickets than this so then I suddenly was with like a much bigger sort of booker and they were booking me into like proper like 500 seater theatres that sold out to be frank it's gone down a bit since then but like that year was like the it's hard year. to sell five five i mean yeah. that is like a real threshold 500 tickets exactly I think. but i was i was uh, that was the that was the tour that like it was kind of um because i was mm. finding a new audience it was like an amalgamation of lots of my favorite material that i've done for a few years but that yeah it sold out within days did it make you feel a bit like, you know, like divers getting the bends and stuff? Like, I mean, every I've never had that kind of like, everything has been gradual for me. And I often think that that is good for the way my brain works. I actually, th- sometimes I think I want something to go huge and actually I think it would ruin my brain. Did, did you have a sense of that? Like, wow, this is all escalating quite fast. Yeah, I didn't cope well with it. Um, I think it's not just good for your brain. I think it's better for everyone's brain if things happen actually. Yeah. And to... I felt very exposed and underprepared for the um, attention, both like not just things like going on Sunday brunch and having to sort of defend uh, our stance on Piers mm. Morgan and being accused of having... Because he shared that clip, didn't he? And it had that, that cartoon image of him with his... Well, his nose up Donald Trump's arm. Yeah, exactly. And then he shared that because he plays the game, doesn't he? He's like, yeah. he knew that it would, it would help it get exposure for you, but he's also right, I'll, I'll lock horns on this. Yeah, right? it did nothing bad for him. Like, again, I think he shared yeah. it on per. Everyone was like, oh my God, Piers Morgan's done another own goal. And it's like, no, he hasn't. He knows what he's doing. No, he That's knows what he's doing, yeah, yeah. Um, But that stuff, like, to give you an idea, when they released that mm. clip online, I was in a rehearsal out of, 
internet contact and for hours and then as soon as I got above ground and was receiving stuff again I got a lot of texts going are you okay um Chris texted me saying and I didn't know what they were talking about I didn't know it was being released that night that, for a comic, that is the worst. <laughs> Are you okay? You're like, okay, yeah. what the I fuck? Had to, is going I had a text on? from my mum going, Rachel, ring me immediately. Um, I had text from Chris going, I hope you're okay with all this. Um, yeah. And because there was so much stuff. I bet he was okay with all this. <laughs> <a TV> <laughs> I mean, exactly. that question didn't need being answered, did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it changed my career in, in, in mm. a way that was absolutely amazing for me. But if, I, if there was a way of doing that a bit slower and a bit less exposed, that would have been, that would have been nicer. I mean, in terms of like, like the kind of show that you were taking out and, and the differences between MASH, we'll come to that in a sec. But I just wonder, I think it is important to say that when women talk about politics online, because I see it myself... There is, there is a, a difference, isn't there? It can unleash quite a lot of of antipathy. I mean, was there, especially after the Piers Morgan one, what what was the kind of tone of stuff that you, was coming at you? Or did, or did you just shut yourself off from it? I did. By that point, I think I had shut myself off a little bit. I'd certainly like done a lot of settings yeah. online. I mean, I didn't see everything. I mean, there were, there were... There were messages wishing me breast cancer. Someone said, better get that mammogram early. Like... You know, it's weirdly specific. I mean, that's like horrible, specific. but also weirdly specific. So ridiculous. When you think about specific. it, actually, yeah. wishing me health because I will get that mammogram early. <laughs> so, <thank laughs> you. Um, yeah, what a weird kind of trolling. Yeah, uh, go like get a conscientious smear trolling. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, like, oh, I hope you die of breast cancer, but seriously, do go and get that. <laughs> yeah, do out. be safe. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like, um, there, yes, there, there was. There was a lot of like stuff that was peculiar to me being a woman, um, mm. but I, to be fair, I would say no more so than there is in an, in the rest in the rest of our lives. To be honest, like no more yeah. so than when I yeah put out any political tweet. Um, it was all it was all pretty proportionate, and I would say I being positive about it. That sexual harassment one got so many positive responses from men and women, like. A yeah. Huge well, that gratifying. But that I think shows uh, an emotional maturity in you that you had. Uh, one thing that comics really struggle to do is to say, right, you get ninety nine great pieces of feedback and then you get one bad one. And comics tend to focus on that. I'm mean, really good to hear that that you think that because I, I do think it was an articulation of something complicated at the time, yeah. and it was done in a way that kept both sides on side. Um, I, I just to tell you a funny story like, of male yeah. hubris. So on on the night of that record when you did the sexual harassment one, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but I was up first in the record, and the anticipation was that I would be first in the edit, you yeah. know. And so my bit went pretty well and stuff. So I was like walked yeah, out, yeah, I remember, stretching the arms yeah, out. Yeah. I was like, there we go. And I walked into the green room and stuff, and and so people in the green room were like TV types, and they were watching your bit. And I was obviously loud and bullshit, <laughs> but your bit was already smashing. And I can just remember loads of female people that were in tv just looking at me like shushing me like because <laughs> i was just i had no idea that this phenomenal thing was happening <laughs> and it absolutely it was kind of like a, there was some sort of venn diagram between the two things i guess it was me just striding around just talking way too loud but um, I think but yeah I, i've had uh ego wise similar moments if it's any consolation when um yeah with just again it's always really bad luck with the scheduling of this program like i'm either having a baby 
or getting yeah. married. And basically, do you remember there was a series? I'd done every episode until see, I think it was series three uh, when they scheduled. I tried to. I literally scheduled my wedding and honeymoon around when the series would normally be. Yeah. So I deliberately didn't do it over October when it normally was. And then they they happened to schedule it um, exactly when I was getting married. So I had to miss a few episodes and I was like so gutted for myself and also like mm. just so like what is the program going to do if I'm not there? Mm. <laughs> How will they cope? How will they fill that slot? And I, yeah. and I, I actually feel sorry for the person who's got a deputise exactly. to be honest. And I watched yeah. them all them all um, just absolutely nailing that slot like the other correspondence they had like, and yeah and you think I'll just keep an eye on Twitter because I'd imagine yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah. would be people, really people pissed like, off that I'm you not... know Flick Ward and Emily Lloyd Saney and Helen Duff just absolutely nailing it and people loving them and me being like Oh yeah, they're fine. <laughs> and then you go. Oh, oh, then you start looking at people. Well, I think the odd bit of trolling for the people standing would have been a bit respectful to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were then you were then on on tour. You know, you've been up at the Edinburgh Fringe. You've been doing musical comedy. So the tour that you had obviously had a large component um, of that. Um, I don't know with that tour how much of a satirical dimension did it have because a lot of people obviously come in because of the satirical bite but you've got a style of comedy how did you merge that yeah good question um it didn't have as much satire as I think a lot of the ticket buyers would have been expecting because I don't do as much satire in my comedy <laughs> as I do in the match yeah. or, or as much as Nish does like I always think that's such an interesting comparison because Nish his whole life is satire like that's absolutely yeah, yeah. what he does in his comedy so what he does on the match is such a really clear reflection of his job mm. for me what I do on the mash is so different to what I do you know in the show I mean what I would say is the more social issues to do with like uh feminism and women's issues and stuff like that is I, I still do a lot of that in the show um mm. but I don't I haven't got much party political stuff in the show and I haven't now I've got I deliberately have added bits to my tour shows because I know that a lot of the audience will buy off the back of mash but yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've written in the, my latest tour show an introductory song explaining that I know you're here to see the MASH report literally lifted word for word, but yeah. that's not what this is. And I know you don't know oh, that's very songs, smart. but I am doing songs and it is deliberate, not a horrible accident. <laughs> I well, Let's talk about your tour now. It seems like a good junction uh, which to hype it. So are you on tour at the moment or is it starting soon? Yes. Yeah, so I just did the first tour date a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in Oxford so mm -hmm. because of all that you'll know this like because of all the rescheduling um yeah. and like my sort of like family things as well it's quite randomly spread out so I've done mm. one date I've got one in Reading coming up and then three and then I've got like 20 in spring and then we might add some more dates so it's, it's a bit have you got like have you got like anyone so what I often say to Axe is like Obviously, you have loads that are selling well. But I bet you anyway, you'll have a couple where people, after the last tour, tweeted you continually saying, come to X. And you're like, and then you say to your tour route, we have to go to Carlisle because <laughs> I have got so much pent-up demand there. And then you look at the numbers, you go, well, thank you, Carlisle. So so which places should people get their skates on? Um, there's play, quite a few have sold out. Like places for me that sell out are always Brighton, Bristol. The city, yeah. Like... It's in Leeds um yeah city centers basically, basically city <laughs> centers. turns out there's a lot of people in cities apart Rachel from is. apart from um 
So I never do well in the Midlands, even though I come from the Midlands. Uh, like, harsh. so I'm doing Peterborough uh, and Lincoln, and I don't think they've they never sell very well there. Peterborough and Lincoln, I'll, I'll jump on Lincoln with you. I, I yeah, Lincoln. It, it, you know, it takes a bit of nurture yeah. to, to, to sell out a show <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in Lincoln. And Peter, Peter, I mean, yeah, you are, yeah, you are, your Midlands thing, you wear it lightly, but what, well, you're a Leicester, Leicester girl. Yeah, I am. And, you know, I love Leicester. Uh, and, but I don't feel, yeah, I don't feel like I, you know, I left when I was 18. My parents still very yeah. much live there, you know, and I, I feel like glad that I come from Leicester but yeah mm. I don't go on about it too much and I think I, I can't afford to because it's not like I'm hugely flying the flag you know for Leicester and yeah. I, I'll be honest I don't find Leicester easy to play I think there is like agreed a mm, it's, I don't know if it's East Midlands or Midlands like quite a mentality of like you've really got to earn it and it's harder I think you've got to really earn there it there are I, I mean you easily I think, I mean, for me, just just selling tickets with Leicester is is, is one thing. Yeah. I, having a good show in Leicester, I, th- I think I've, Leicester sent me a message, and I need to hear it <laughs> and listen. I, I think I might, I might go melt on Mowbray next time. <laughs> I, I've got this theory about the towns in and around um, Leicester that a lot of them sound like kind of daytime soap stars. So I think Melton Mowbray <laughs> sounds like a really handsome, chiselled jawed yeah. guy. You know. And what about Ashby de la Zouche? Ashby de la Zouz. Well, there's always that thing of, does he sound like a left back from like an Eastern European left back that's come to play in the championship? Yeah. Kibworth Harcourt. Yeah, really nice. Sutton Colville. Sutton, Sutton, could, Sutton could be one of those weird American names that doesn't scan, but then you think, oh no, that is a first name, yeah, Sutton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Starring Sutton Colville and Ashby de la Zouz. <laughs> we always make these jokes about him. Um, you know, um, Lee Delamere sounds like Lee Delamere. And, uh, yeah, completely. Cheveley Services. Didn't you go to school with Cheveley? Um, <laughs> Cheveley. Cheveley's a butler. Yeah, exactly. And also set up his own company called Cheveley Services. In terms of the recent series of uh, Mash Report, which become Late Night Mash, which is definitely how everyone still refers to it. Yeah. You know, and no, no, definitely no one still calls it the Mash Report. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How, how was your experience of doing that? Because I, I found it a lot more straightforward in a lot of ways. I don't know if it's because we were allowed to just stay in our dressing rooms and not do that thing where we all had to wait <laughs> behind the wings the whole time. Did you first up? Did you find it easier? And if if you did, was it was it partly because it wasn't you know that scrutiny of BBC Two? Perhaps how how did you find it? I don't know. I think it's fair to say I was a little bit removed from it all because I think my mm. whole thing was getting through this with a newborn baby. So yeah, I yeah. think the more nuanced side of it all was perhaps I was a bit removed from it. I only went to I went to in the end three of the we wrote four pieces. Um, yeah. and recorded four pieces but only used three of them um i think it did feel really different didn't it um yeah it was it was chill as the kids say it yeah. was a bit it's a bit chilled out it felt more like a gig but for me that was so much better it was like i wait it was like doing a turn you know i waited in my dressing room i had to come out i have to hit this 15 minute bit and it whereas before I'll explain to people listening we would all there was a holding area behind the stage and we would all sit there for the whole thing and it sort of frayed your nerves a little bit. And then yeah. if you take that out of it, in, in a way, it then becomes better than a panel show because a panel show, you're often out there for two and a half, three hours. Mm. Whereas this, it's a high pressure moment, but like the euphoria after it goes well, you're like, 
great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go back. It, it felt like having done a good gig. I, I really enjoyed that. I think I liked... Uh, I'm, I slightly missed the more hanging out kind of with everyone aspect of it. I think because we were more separated because of COVID and yeah. the dressing rooms all being like a bit more spread out and everything and them not encouraging us to mix too much because of COVID. Like I did slightly miss the... Um, I'm just an anti-social bastard, basically. I just... I really... <laughs> I'd like, I'd like to be alone just to doom scroll in a dressing room in that weird kind of communist looking hospital that is the dressing rooms at Elstree but um, but I mean obviously the, the news with that show is that, um, that Nish has stepped back from it yeah. and you know it's a big question to ask but you know would you be interested in the job now I'm gonna I don't know if you're gonna answer that directly I think you'd be brilliant and I'll, I'll give you the reasons one because I think you'd be very funny I think that politically you're not easy to pin down. I think a lot of people, they might think one thing about you, but you're able to kind of bring both both people together. I think it would be continuity. You're a well-loved figure within the show. And we still haven't had a female host of a top topical show, I don't think. Well, know? if you so... could just pick up the phone to UK TV and say it. Um, yeah, I, I... Would you want it? I mean, would you be interested? I, I think I would want it. I think I would want it, which is what they obviously like. We are, it feels nice that we can genuinely say none of us know what the future of the show holds. Um, no, we don't. We genuinely don't know. know if they're going to carry on the show or not, um, or if they'll get. If they do, if they'll get a host from in house, or if they'll get someone. God knows. I mean, they might just get you know like Catherine Ryan or someone like that. It, but I think, yeah, to, to be honest, like my, I I think I would be good in it if I can say that, because I think there is quite a particular thing you need. You need someone, I think it would be a lot easier for them if they had someone who knew the show well um, Mm. and who knew the team. And you need someone who uh, is seen to be uh, a bit political and for it to be authored. You know, I think you can't just have like Mm. um, the way that have I got news for you just have, it can't be an NC thing. And by, by yeah. NC, I mean like, like entertainment led where no. someone comes in and goes, look at me painting my personality brush all over this set. Yeah. Which, as you say, works brilliantly for I've Got News For You. But I think I think you're right. I, don't, I think sort of airlifting in somebody who perhaps is a name that would bring numbers or, or stuff like that. I, I wonder... I wonder about that. And, 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 and again, I think this is a really important thing is like... I don't, I don't fully know what your politics are. I certainly get the impression that you are liberal, perhaps in in a more kind of you know conventional sense of that. But that you might have some not not big C conservative, but small C conservative elements to your personality. No, do people miss true. that sometimes? Um, yes, I, th- I think they do. Because I think certainly on the mass report showcases, the more left wing, the more liberal things of what I think, which is the majority. Like you said, you know, of course I'm left leaning. But I do think that there's <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of things you know that you that we wouldn't do topics on because I think I think the main thing about being conservative is that just thinking that some issues are, are perhaps more nuanced than extremely left wing or extremely right wing people think, and that's why I sometimes feel more in the middle of debates than on either side because I'm just all about I'm all about the nuance really um, in some of them so. Yeah, I would say it makes me laugh when um, someone put someone put on Twitter. Uh, I think they it was like quite a mean tweet about me. They said, and it was just 
nonsense because it was very clear they don't know me or have never watched my comedy before they said oh I Rachel Paris I can ruin um since you got so lefty since marrying that lefty Marcus Briggs dog and I said to Marcus it's hilarious they think you have made me more left wing <laughs> yeah like that is so I mean that's so old-fashioned isn't it I mean like I but I to be honest I get that from the other angle where a lot of people when I tell people that my wife voted remain people go like loads of left-wing people go what I go yeah because like she's got opinions and I'm not like some old guy that comes in and goes demands my tea (laughs) I mean I was just gonna do it in northern accent that has its own this household will vote (laughs) to leave we are a Brexit household exactly and uh, you will concur and that is funny that they think, yeah, like I don't think that many people think this about you, but that they think that you're a raging lefty. I don't. I would think raging is not the word. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. Like I am left wing, but not uh, uh, as aggressive. Not as aggressively as as a lot of people online seem to think. <laughs> okay, so just uh, chipping in. I know you're loving this chat. This is a great chat. Sometimes look, I, I like all the episodes I put out, but sometimes you go, this this has got some fascinating detail in it. You know, a bit of a scoop, maybe even the Rachel. You know, putting her hat into the ring. I mean, that's I'm putting it more strongly than that for the Mash Report job or late night match. I asked her a question, she gave an answer. This is this is what tabloid journalists would do, wouldn't it? Rachel Paris throws hat into the ring. Uh, so just a quick hype for some stuff. Obviously, as we discussed, you should go and see Rachel's tour. My book, uh, Where Did I Go Right? How the Left Lost Me, is still out. And like I say, if you haven't, you know, if you have if you bought it at the beginning, but you haven't got the Audible or the audio version, get the audio version, you know, buy the hardback. It all helps me. I'm trying to get this second book deal. And the numbers, they all help. Obviously, the tour for spring 2022. I've finished the autumn leg now, finished with two absolute belting shows uh, in Milton Keynes. I mean, it's a great irony for me, given my, I'm an AFC Wimbledon fan, that I sell very well in Milton Keynes and always have great shows there. I mean, that is them trolling me, isn't it? Yeah. Just to make your point by being nice. Yeah, I see what you're doing. Um, but yeah, spring 2022 is on sale. So do go on to Live Nation, uh, Jeff Norcott, and come to uh, come and see a show because it's the best thing I've done in comedy. And, you know, this, that and the podcast... I mean, ironically, the two things I have total control over. And just a quick minor hype is for the YouTube channel. Just go, there's content there, content clips. Used to be called clips. And Instagram, if you want to see a man not really doing anything on Instagram regularly or really having a plan of how to use it, then get yourself over to Instagram. And you might occasionally see a poorly framed photo of me standing outside one of my tour venues or, or one of my dog. Anyway, let's get back to... Oh, Jesus Christ, I almost forgot to mention... The additional patrons here, we got Daniel, who's a new patron, who messaged me. And uh, he didn't say his surname, so let's just leave it as Daniel. Daniel, Daniel's son, Daniel's son, Daniel. Dan- I can't do it with the first names. Daniel, Danny, Danny. How old are you, Daniel? When was, when was Danny, is Daniel still in fashion as a name? I don't know, man. Some of those names just go out of fashion, don't they? I haven't seen a Peter for a few years. I mean, it's, it's a big shout in it these days to look at a baby and just go, Peter, <laughs> Graham. I mean, in fuck, it's amazing that anyone ever did that. But no offense to Peters and Grahams. Well, well, some offense. Let's be honest. Stephen Fowler, and and this isn't just because of Robbie Fowler, but it is impossible to say that name without thinking that you're a scouser. And it's Stephen Fowler who comes from somewhere really scouse, like Bootle. Great thing about Liverpool is they've got place names that allow them to explore the 
possibilities of their accent to the fullest. Bootle Tochsef Edgelein. I mean, that one that one doesn't really work as well. And we've got Lisa. I think I've, I've, um, I'm not going to say Lisa's surname because uh, I think her profession, it might be a bit sensitive. But she gave me some interesting background. And should we just say that not all lefties, okay, when it comes to their tax, are as lefty with their tax as they are in their life? Do you know what I mean? Okay, let's get back to the chat with Rachel Paris. <laughs> Well, certainty, I think, is the thing that characterises or cuts across the divide. I mean, I, I think that's the thing, and I've spoke to a lot of comics recently, you know, certainly comics who are a bit like, you know, I mean, you're, you're significantly younger than me, but getting to that point where you sort of realise how ridiculous certainty is and that actually the boring truth about us is that we sort of lean, like most people in Britain, you maybe lean a bit to the left or you lean a bit to the right. Yeah, yeah. It's not sexy, is it? To... <laughs> I think there are when we've looked for topics for me to do on mm. the match report, the thing I'm always looking for in the topic personally is something that I can write about with certainty, like you say. And I don't feel certain mm. on lots of topics. I feel like very persuadable and open to listening. And so there's certain topics that I'm like, oh, please, let's definitely do. So, for example, violence against women. It's pretty unequivocal. Mm. No one's like, I'm quite. Pro, so this was I'm one from the recent series. Was so that was a, that was one from the recent series of Late Night Mash. That despite being on David, it did go viral again. It was another one of those big things. Yeah, that felt really good. Like I, mm. in everything that had been leading up in the weeks beforehand, and then obviously like the year beforehand, um, I knew I had one piece left, and I'd actually been thinking, I wonder if there's a funny, like, can we make it funny? Can we make it effective? Can we make it good, mm. even if it's about such an awful subject? And I'd been thinking that, and then Chris stopped, the producer texted me going, you know your piece coming up, do you think there's the world in which uh, you could do it on violence against women? Or is it, because he said, I think you're the right person to do it, and I think you could, but obviously only if you want to. And I was like, we're, we're both on the same page then. And, mm. you know, we all worked really hard on it. So I felt that was like the one in the series that I felt really proud of. So, um, yeah, that's a subject that there's no question about. And for me personally, there are political things like I think the current Boris government is unequivocally awful. Like, I think they are diabolical and only loyal to Boris. And I think they have no right to be in the positions they are. And there have been so many fuck ups that it's kind of impossible to ignore that this whatever you think about conservatives and labor this government is horrendous and i feel really clear on that so i've no problem um doing peace about that uh or like slagging off jacob rees mog but mm. then there are there are other there are sort of like other sort of political um issues and even other people within politics uh, and the world of tv that you're like I feel a bit. I don't really. I don't really actually like being mean. In terms of like, I'm interested in this. Is what your take is on Keir Starmer? Because on paper, I would think he'd be someone you would be on side with. He's a decent man. He's a good man. You know, he's he's well read. He's articulate. Yeah. Is he your sort of politician? I thought he was going to be. I was pleased when when they had the leadership battles. I thought mm. you know, as this sort of 
closet centrist that I'm talking about that I am like closet centrist. <laughs> <laughs> I I did I did think he seemed the most equipped for the job certainly in terms of like mm. I don't think it is all I don't think that um being a leader certainly a political leader is all about who you are and your beliefs mm. I think it is about some quite logistical things which is like being able to do good speeches being able to yeah be confident uh having certainly mm. knowledge base like uh in uh you know the house of commons to be able to challenge really effectively and with strength and all those things and i thought that he at the time was of the leaders that were being put forward uh you know i thought he was the right person and i was pleased and i was like oh this is going to be great and he had a few weeks where he had like some great put downs in the comments against mm. Boris, and I was really chuffed. It was refreshing. He just seemed organised, especially after Corbyn. He seemed to be uh, across his brief. He really did, didn't he? He, he sort of was able mm. to like challenge it and then really back it up with like a load of stuff. And I thought it was really good. And I was defended him against people who were like, "Oh, he's just really infected." But as time's gone on, and there has been so many things that he could challenge the government on and given the benefit of the doubt for ages i was mm. like he's just biding his time it's clever strategy we're not going to have an election for ages so um it doesn't benefit him to to be too divisive at this stage especially yeah. as people have, when we were like rolling out the vaccine and everything and everyone's just recovering from covid i don't think it was hugely useful to be too bipartisan you know at that stage because everyone's just kind of no one's going to thank him for it because they're just like, thank God for vaccines. But now there have been so many fuck ups by the government that he should have absolutely leapt on. And he has sort of like with all this, um, the recent corruption with Owen Patterson and the government. Yeah, the sleaze. And... All that stuff. Um, that was such a good opportunity to really passionately come up with a, you know, this is a sleaze government we offer an alternative. We do not have these crony connections. We would not behave in this way. We would have like a fair way of dealing with people who broke the rules and do it in a, I don't know, like that. I don't, I do feel like it's like a pattern. But do you think that must maybe his problem is because he's a QC is like he's, well, they, they, they have, you know, that's the problem in a way is they haven't broke the rules, you know? So, so he thinks, I think in a fairly black and white way and obviously he's got this issue of, of not on the same level as any of the toys but having done advocacy work and stuff having done you know a bit of work in Gibraltar which is not an out and out tax haven it's just it, it's it, he sort of seems to come from a little bit of the other world as well not much I mean but if there's a spectrum you know the one end has Jeffrey Cox yeah. You know, Keir Starmer's probably a bit closer to Geoffrey Cox than he is to a kind of backbench Labour MP that doesn't do any other work outside yeah. of um, being an MP. I mean, it is... And and I suppose the other impact of being a QC is it does feel like, as you say, he was trying to sort of construct an argument. It almost felt like he was doing his job. Like, I'll set these little bear traps. And intellectually, those are great things. But politics isn't intellectual. It's, 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 it's so emotional now. And people exactly. want someone that makes them feel just something. People the emotion, don't they? Now, I think that I think that totally, logic, yeah. the world has changed, and people are used to seeing really immediate uh, personal reactions to everything online. What with you know, I'm going to sound yeah, so yes, middle aged, but you know, point. like with the TikToks uh, and the stuff, <laughs> but everyone's got such clear access to people's personal views in a way they didn't used to. That now a politician yeah. does have to be more emotional, more immediate than they used to be, and I think that's what people really need to see 
from a leader of Labour, especially when everyone, mm. you know, everyone who's a Labour voter is so angry at the current government, and there's there's been no one to reflect that anger yeah it's not echoed is it no. i mean and especially i think it's a problem for him that if you think about the attacks on boris that have really landed none of them have come from him you know they've been from uh, ed miller band who did a great speech about a year ago andy burnham you know people saw burnham's passion they identified with that and obviously marcus rashford who is sort of yeah. sort of currently the bloke that keir starmer aspires to be so it is it's weird because it feels like labor could sleepwalk their way into another election where exactly they don't there's not even the biggest party let alone a majority it just leaves you thinking who is who is gonna be a good enough leader to bring mm. all those like to to tip the scales because even i can't remember what week it was that there was like yet another really clear um i don't know if it's the week that it was like proven that boris you know gave all that money when he was mayor of London to his mistress or the week that there was like some like massive scandal one of the many and conservatives were like up five in the polls and it was like so there's it's not working so if Keir Starmer's not yeah yeah no there have been certain weeks where you've gone Keir Starmer's not working what Mm. what what is going to work you know to persuade people What's interesting as well is people often sort of talk about a progressive alliance on, on the left. And and there's a certain complacency in that that idea because I think if you put all the other parties, because all the other parties are on the left, which yeah. which kind of benefits the Tories because they're the only game in town for anybody right of centre. Yeah. But people tend to just presume that then all of those voters, none of them will have any issue with a coalition that broad and that they'll all stay with the Rainbow Coalition and I think I think a lot of you know Lib Dems, even Labour voters would go. I don't know if I want a, a deal that includes the the Green Party and the SNP. So even if I my hunch is that if you go for a progressive alliance, that still breaks down as roughly fifty fifty once, possibly even you know a, a majority for the Tories again once you think of all the traffic that would go one way or the other. I think they tried, didn't they? Like Anna Seabury mm. and. Um... Chuck Amano and all those people like they they did try didn't they to have that uh, breakaway breakaway party um, yeah. and no one it seemed like a party that had been put together by marketing people do you know what I mean yeah. they'd done research and you'd go well look you know the brand the, the marketplace suggests that if you had you know like Times Radio has done quite well because it sits between Radio 4 and Radio 5 yeah. I think tonally so they've sort of done that with a political party and put two and two together and come up with like one. And and, and it was a weird little period with Change UK. I was genuinely excited. Do- I was like, this could be it. Like if people, I do think that, mm. that something like that would start out as one thing and then it would evolve depending on who joined it and who shaped it and led it. But as it were, it didn't have the chance to find out what it would yeah. become because something like that, you just need everyone to go for it don't you it's no good having like 12 mm. people trying to recruit more but you really need like at least like 100 people across the party well, it was, it was funny i think i did a piece uh, on mash at the time it was like what a sort of emasculating moment it was for lib dems where people were going we need like a centrist sort of party that are like pro eu and then they're in the back going we're literally right here i mean go, you know kind of liberal maybe democratic <laughs> I hope you don't mind. If, 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 I know you've got a rush probably, but 
if we do a couple of letters from the yeah, the patrons here. Yeah. Uh, so I just picked out um, a couple. Um, so this is from James James Bowley. This is just about a question about your personal life, but not too personal. Yeah. Is how did Rachel deal with the various lockdowns? Did she enjoy all the extra time with uh, hubby and child, or did you get on each other's teeth? What a nice question. Um, the answer is, yeah, I sort of did, actually. I mean, setting aside, it was a bit worrying with work because, like, you know, you didn't get furloughed, obviously, and uh, just lost all our work. <laughs> and because we're yeah, both yeah. performers, you know, both incomes were gone. So um, that was that was scary. But setting that aside, I think um, we, we had, like, you know, a personally difficult time. Mm. Um, in in terms of some things but uh we really enjoyed like the getting our online club together you know doing these weekly uh zoom yeah so that's with always be comedy you got like a residency right. online yeah, that did really the well Tuesday night club and it carried on it started really early within lockdown and it, it carried on for um like a year and a half uh and it hmm. it was really lovely it really did become like a, a club rather than a gig you know people joined every yeah. week there were like a few hundred people every week who always came um and it was genuinely like it felt like a little family um and it hmm. and it's still sort of still sort of in touch in a in a comedy audience kind of way uh, and then you know they were they were they that audience like even went through all this personal stuff with us because we were seeing them week in week out they were in our home and we were in theirs so yeah. then like when I got um pregnant again they just you know sent us presents and was just so happy for yeah, us yeah. and they were given like the, they were given the first news about the baby and everything <laughs> So, it was, I mean, yeah. that period where online stuff seemed bigger and more important. I remember we had a couple of, because we, me and my wife love clubbing despite being in our 40s. It's pretty tragic. But <laughs> we, um, like, one of our friends set up like a club where, you know, there was a room for chatting, there was two rooms for, it was just, oh, that's so but cool. I can remember. I remember how I felt like being there. Like we felt like it was a night out, like she was getting ready and stuff. It feels a bit embarrassing now to, to think of it, but well, it did occupy like, a different it space. Night, it was our yeah. night out. You, you definitely did. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, people have really said, and I, I don't think it's exaggerating. Like it really was a lifeline in those mm. times for, for not just for the audience, for the performers as well. Like um, to have like something, happening that was like a special event whether it's a comedy gig or disco or whatever yeah to have something like in the diary where you're meeting up with people was so important um so yeah in answer well it's carried on with with tv tv appearances as well we still do some online and there is that there is that strange thing of warming up for something by just pacing your kitchen <laughs> and then you can be you can be on a national television program you know what i mean like going out to quite a lot of people and then it just finishes the link ends and you're just sitting in your house, I've never got over what an odd experience that is. Do you think? Do you think like Zoom and online gigs will remain part of the kind of menu of comedy in this country? Yeah, I really do. I think it was sort of something that was like obvious and sitting there that no one noticed until lockdown happened. Yeah. That a huge number of the population, whether it's just because they've got kids, whether they don't live near a town mm. where that performer's performing, or or they're disabled, or just just old, or just don't not able or not willing to or lazy, or, or lazy and feckless yeah. <laughs> you know lazy and the feckless yeah. there's definitely a bit of that in your nine audiences yeah, there's, there's loads of reasons why they should carry on and i, I think yeah. they will so this is from kevin withington um rachel is excellent on mash and other stuff how did you get into comedy and on mash uh does nish 
always know what she's going to say as he always looks like he doesn't. So, uh, sort of whichever one you want to go with first, um, Deb. I'll do yeah. the second one first. No, he genuinely doesn't. Uh, they go to great pains to keep him unaware of uh, the bits that he sort of, he often knows the subject. And if there's yeah. um, ever like a particular thing he needs to sort of know about, like that he has to give an answer to, then we'll give him a heads up of that. But for example, the sexual harassment one, um, no, he, he didn't know. That he, he knew he would, he knew that I was going to invite him up on to be near me. But no, it was genuinely, it was genuinely like a uh, surprise. <laughs> and it often... It looked like a surprise. And he doesn't know my, what I'm going to say to him um, most of the time. Did you did you ever get stick? Because obviously the, like, the, the shtick as such is, is you kind of like sarcastically put yeah. him in this place. And, and, and I think it gets a lot of cheer from women, you know, with... Uh, when dealing with a bloke who's in a, in a, you know, like he's the host, he's in the yeah. position of power. Did you ever get people going like, you're too mean or people that took it too seriously? Yeah. Yeah. There's often people who just don't get it, <laughs> who, who don't, who don't realise that we're like, the reason we can get away with that is because we're really good friends. Um, yeah, and yeah. crucially that he's in a position of power. So that's why that works. And it wouldn't work. I, I, just, I had a, like a slew of like sort of, um, the year that I was getting the job offers uh, in like 2018, um, they'd go, we want you to come on this show and like, we're going to have guests and you to be like really mean to the guests in the way that you are to Nish, yeah. just like that sort of like really mean thing. And I was like, no, you've really misunderstood. Like, I'm not generally mean. I'm, only, yeah. I'm, I'm not mean to Nish. I'm like really specifically, the tone of it, I'm always really clear when I'm writing it like the those bits like I'm always very particular on with the writing so I'm like mm. I'm not just I don't just like bully him and just call him names and just be mean in that way it's it's more subtle. No, no. it's like it's like patronizing and <laughs> throwing him off yeah. the guard it's not just like no no they're always very different I think that's the real skill of them it's hilarious to find out that you were sort of pitched ideas about sort of emasculation essentially <laughs> Is going, we just get powerful men on and you just be sarky to them. Yeah, it wasn't even powerful men. Them. There was one of them yeah. where it was like uh, hosting a quiz show and being like the sort of Anne Robinson figure of like being mean to just normal people coming on the quiz show. And I was like, I'm not going to be horrible to normal people just trying their best. Like, that's not who I am. I'd hate that. I'm going to be mean to Mitch because <laughs> he loves it. Rachel, thank you so much for appearing on What Most People Think. Thank you. And I will be back. Obviously, I've been off in inverted commas uh, this week, but I'll be back uh, with a full show next week, which is week commencing. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the week is after this, that's when it's going to be. What most people think.